0: The principles of objectivism, the philosophy rooted in reality, reason, and individualism has never been more needed nor more neglected. This is the perfect moment to help the public rediscover the Marvel vision of Ayn Rand. My thought of this quote Being adequate as an introductory sentence for our episode today stems from its origination as uttered by Jennifer Grossman, the guest I've invited today. As the current CEO of the Atlas Society, she does a lot of work in aiding young individuals in finding a purposeful philosophical approach to life through the lens of Ayn Rand's objectivist views. In our discussion, we not only dive into how the process of creating educative content that can compete with the ever expanding entertainment that is required for the attention of a young audience in today's market of information, but as well a deep dive into what the philosophical approach of an objectivist lens, through the works of Iron Rand actually looks like, and how this may be applied in the modern world. My hope is that any listener in requirement for a straightened structure of values may benefit from this outlook on existence and be inspired to change their own perceptions for a greater good. This is an area where I currently, maybe you could start off with that, um, very split in my opinion, because on, on one side the, the value of creating um, something that inspires and motivates, of course, is the ultimate value because without actually having an incentive to act, um, there is no action. But um, I've I've kind of, I'm not sure whether uh, it is the proper goal to maximize these incentives through creating something like visual and audio um, material that would resonate as beautiful and uh, musical over um, solely focusing on information. Because it seems to me like this is what actually has the value. Because of course, while it is fulfilling to pursue um, something that gives a, a positive sense in in terms of um, meaningful engagement with beauty, the the actual progress is achieved, I would assess, through uh, achieving knowledge and uh, in, invention. What would your take be on where, where this where this line is?
1: Yes. That's an excellent question. Well, I think my bias is uh, towards an artistic presentation of the knowledge. Um, I think that in narrative, in uh, drama and in art, we are transported into a another reality, a reality which is a, uh, a kind of a recreation of reality according to the artist's values. And I think that's why Ayn Rand's novels and screenplays had such power. Um, there was knowledge in those uh, in those presentations, but they weren't um, presented as a lecture, they weren't presented as a, as a nonfiction uh, they, they were pre- presented in narrative form. And I believe that, um, it, you know, if you had to have a choice between, well, if Ayn Rand would have only given us the novels, or if she ha- would have only given us uh, the the philosophy, which would have had the, the biggest impact on the world. And, and I would incline towards, towards the novels because they are uh, appropriate to the nature of man's consciousness, and the way that we um, we take in, we integrate, and we actualize knowledge. But I also, I, you know, I don't think that it is an either or. Uh, I think that what we do at the Atlas Society, we we have both. We have graphic novels, we have short animated videos. Um, the, the animated novel, the uh, graphic novels are... Uh, largely faithful to Ayn Rand's um, works and present the text of her n- uh, novella Anthem or of her screenplay Red Pawn, uh, but they are enhanced with visuals from, um, from our illustrator and then also in the, uh, the animated form with music and with voiceover. Um, the Draw My Life videos, uh, those those are um, more, uh, not sui generis, but those are, are things that are not taken from her scripts per se, but are inspired by by her work. So, for example, My Name is Kira Argunova, which we released last week Um is is based on the characters from the novel. is based on the events in the novel, but it's you know a three to four minute video, and it's really has a very specific purpose, uh, which is um, like a it's like a commercial. So it's it's not meant to provide complete knowledge. It's it's meant to try to solve this issue of, well, in an age where reading habits have changed, where consumer um, Preferences and habits have changed. How do we encourage people, or entice people, or invite people, or seduce people, to take uh, to pick up the book? And so, um, so it's it's a it's an artwork with a very specific purpose, which is to encourage the action to actually read the book, and then to, to de- delve into it further through our book club, through our webinars, through our conversations you know, with, with our scholars. Um, I mean, her, her works stand alone, but why is it, for example, when I went to uh, Dallas last week uh, at a conference with 2,500 people, 2,000 young women ages 15 through 20, um, and 95% had never heard of Ayn Rand, Never even heard of Atlas shrugged. I mean, total total blank stares. Um, So, what what does one do about that? You know, does does one just continue to prioritize um, an academic approach and uh, say, well, these are the novels, read them. These are the you know, here's virtue of selfishness, here's philosophy. Who needs it? Read them. But if that's not working, then uh, maybe you need to kind of take a few steps back. And say, um, wow! You know, you got a, a big audience of, of of young people who are perhaps inclined towards her her politics. Um, why is it that they are completely oblivious to her to her name, to her work, and what can we do about it? And where are these young people living? Where are they? Um, where are they interacting, what, what kinds of content are they consuming, and then make a very dedicated, specific, thoughtful, deliberate process of, of trying to reach out to them in a way that would be in their self-interest to take the few minutes to, 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 to give it a look.
0: Yeah, um, I, I can understand where the, the value there lies. And especially um, I think we, we have a kind of evolution in, in two totally different directions because on one side, um, as you mentioned, we have far greater capability of mapping out visuals and making things better, higher quality, and more people from all over the world working together but on the other hand, um, the, the kind of the challenge of knowledge that isn't as immediately attractive becomes kind of uh, undermined in an oversimplified view of the pursuit of something not maybe from our perspective as high as um, learning about philosophical issues so why would you say should these young people in your estimation even bother engaging with this material because um the maybe the strawment would be that one can just go through life do whatever and um at the end where's the difference between one that studies the humanities and becomes well educated and the other one that just pursues things, um, maybe even quicker.
1: Um, Well, so why would, why should a young person want to learn about philosophy? And why should they want to gain a better understanding of objectivism? Is that is that the question?
0: Yeah, definitely. Because as you just mentioned, it's, uh, it's difficult to motivate people to do so. And I think there has to be formulated a a great incentive, and not giving someone a book, but uh, you know, one one side is to make it easier, more accessible, in short paths. But of course, as well, it has to. There has to be a reason to engage with this material.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's what a an introduction does is makes the case of, of why it's um, it's in their in their best interest. And I think that when you have stories, when you have um, the values which are put into a narrative form, uh, it becomes personalized in a sense. So when you have a story, it's about people and people are engaged in a conflict and they have a struggle and you can identify with, with a person. A young woman might be able to identify with Kira or uh, identify with Dagny, um, and and then see themselves and see parallels to other similar um, struggles that they may be encountering in their in their own life, uh, where like Kira, you know, they are in an impossible situation, and um, they have a, a choice to give up, to float along. To, to make uh, compromises um, or to um, pursue their highest value, uh, despite great cost um, or Dagny, that she uh, has her highest value, at least at the beginning of her arc, which is uh, running a successful business and, um, and sees that despite her best efforts um, there are people that are using her business against her, using her uh, competence against her, and uh, at some point recognizing that uh, it's time to pull back. It's time to, it's time to shrug. Uh, it's, it's time to try a different way. And I, I think that there are themes, or universal themes in Ayn Rand's works, that uh, that that any young person can can find um, relevant. And um, you know, uh, if if the choice is well, they just float along watching Kardashian videos and taking selfies on Instagram and and watching cat videos, um, versus you know uh, reading um, philosophy. Who needs it? You know, sometimes there there needs to be a few intermediary uh, intermediary. Steps, you know, some, and maybe it's also my coming from um, the business world with with advertising and marketing that we don't take for granted that um, somebody needs our product, wants our product, is aware of our product, um, that our product is, is, is the best, that even though it may be more expensive or it may not be as accessible. Um, we have to make the case to to uh, our our consumers why why this this product is, is in their self-interest and that's part of what we tried to do with um with our approach at the atlas society i mean at the end of the day uh reading anthem maybe some people prefer just to read maybe some people prefer a graphic novel our experience is that a lot of people prefer a graphic novel if you went to a a college library when when i was at harvard uh, versus today um they're vastly changed and and part of it is is that uh, the graphic novels have have taken over the, the library so it does seem if you just empirically observe um what's happening in the marketplace that uh, the people are preferring this kind of format um, so so you know i i'd, I'd whether they just read it or whether they they read a illustrated version, or whether they uh, watch a illustrated and um, uh, musically enhanced uh, piece, I, I think it's um it, it's just a matter of of what that particular individual prefers. and i I think Adam Smith, you know, said it best when he talked about, the wealth of nations and he um, ascribed it in part to a division of labor. And um, what we're trying to do at the Atlas Society is we're providing options and alternatives and we're specializing in, in particular formats and, um, and they're available. And I, I think that having this diversity of different formats, uh, different approaches, different kinds of personality is um is is best because uh that way you have you know competition and and excellence and uh, and you also have a, a wide variety of um of entry points for people uh that can begin their journey to to more deeply understanding the the philosophy and to applying it to their life
0: yeah that makes sense the the kind of value has to be um, of course somewhat condensed and um, not only is there a kind of uh, gap between people who engage with this material and those who don't even bother but even those taken out there's well um, within the philosophical issues, um, seems to occur a great shift um, towards, well, (laughs) ideas that aren't really of individualist and libertarian nature. And they uh, seem as well in a great manner to spread amongst young people. So certainly it is important uh, for you to Deliver kind of the the other side of the argument in a similar fashion, but uh, what um, you, and I've seen you engage with these arguments. So, what would you uh, say in in the um, well value of this objectivist view? Um, as opposed to rather socialism? Mm.
1: Well, I think when we look at the growing appeal of socialism, we tend to focus on um, the schools, and certainly it's true that uh, government schools are um, indoctrinating young people with a worldview and orientation that coincidentally fuels a greater demand for government um services and uh, and yes there is a, a cultural context as well that uh you have entertainment in which um entrepreneurs business capitalism uh is is vilified and um and i i, I think that influence can't be discounted, but I, I think that there are other factors at work. And that one of them is that uh, there's been a, a cultural shift over the past couple of generations towards a, um, a an emphasis on safety and an almost over-exaggeration of, of threats to safety for, for young people. Um, and that has led to generations of of parenting, which are seeking to uh, prepare the path for the child rather than prepare the the child for the path um, that are providing young people with a exaggerated view of a dangerous world. And uh, that is um, leading to a generation that feels less confident, less resilient, less competent, less uh, less able to, to take on um, the risks and uh, the challenges and the rigors of, of dealing with a competitive, um, competitive environment. And so I think that um, what objectivism specifically with its emphasis on individualism Uh, and its elevation of values like uh, productivity and achievement, uh, and also its uh, emphasis of a a benevolent universe uh, where um, achievement and the the reaching of your goals is possible is is a stark alternative to uh, a socialistic worldview in which there are historical forces a raid against you, and uh, in in which um, your agency as as an individual is is discounted, uh, and in which there are always these oppressors and the oppressed, and so I I think that um, perhaps that's also why we're we're seeing now um, a greater demand for um, for our messaging uh, because it it's um, It's a a very diametrically opposed uh, polar opposite to to the premises which are being advanced um, by the the socialistic worldview.
0: Well, that's um, a a very dense message of uh, what one can pursue and while uh, in, in, I think, everyone, a, a deep view exists of this just being the nature um, there from a, from a logical perspective of reason. Uh, of course, in, in a fair society, everyone is able to achieve the goals they can conceptualize through uh, reasoning uh, what they can do every day to one day accomplish what they may uh, deem worthwhile to fulfill as a goal. Um, I believe, and maybe I can get your take on this, there from what you say, a a shift towards a certain victim mentality uh, may have actually never occurred because well, over the last century, especially now as progress accelerates things have gotten so much easier so maybe it doesn't even have to be that people um become weaker but just their surroundings easier and they have less incentive of doing something so for example during uh, a world war of course the the parents were adapting to the environment for the children to thrive because they they fought so their children could live in peace well now we live in peace and perhaps uh parents still have the view that there is an ongoing war against their children and they have to well somehow save them so i think this this could have the There's a a not occurring shift in mentality and people being stuck in the past while things have rapidly changed, especially on social issues for ethnic groups um, in in a major manner. And it's, of course, a, a, a big step to say, okay, now we have equal opportunity and everyone just can pursue what they want. But even from from the uh, perspective of egoism, which, of course, uh, Ayn Rand adopted, it doesn't really matter uh, for you what um, somebody else does, even if it affects you negatively. As you told the story of uh, the girl, and I'm sure this may be very interesting for listeners, to have a visual understanding of this. Even when you fail at what you deem to be worthwhile, uh, it's it's not worth it to become uh, resentful, uh, even though it may be the appropriate thing to do.
1: Right, well, there's that wonderful Ayn Rand quote, which is, never think of pain or enemies longer than is necessary to to overcome them, and um, I think that leaving aside the uh, cultural changes you mentioned, going from a wartime footing where there were very w- real threats to a time where we do have progress, and uh, and there, the threats aren't of a level that objectively speaking that they that they were in the past, and yet. You are, are seeing um, a emphasis on on new threats, on um, uh, climate change, on um, the the world going to be ending, and uh, you know uh, that raised to to a level of of, of an existential threat. And um, part of it is just being aware of uh, of just the evolutionary influence on our consciousness and our, our wiring to look for threats, a kind of negativity bias that, uh, you know, the, the person that was not constantly scanning the savanna uh, in order to keep an eye out for predators, um, that the person who was not doing that might not have passed on his DNA because uh, the more... Um, Positive, uh, benevolently oriented person uh, ended up as uh, as as prey, as 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 lunch. So, just in terms of tending to our own objectivity, and uh, recently we we came out with uh, David Kelly's The Seven Habits of Highly Objective People for us to think about our our hygiene, our kind of um, mental hygiene of guarding against. Um, those those biases, and that's one of the reasons. Also, in our weekly webinars, we have emphasized uh, guests such as um, John Tierney, who who wrote uh, the the Power of of Bad, um, to just talk about how our mind plays tricks on us to to um, give a non objective assessment of, of of how good or how bad things really are, or Johan Norberg was another recent guest who uh, really helped us to to gain a better perspective of of how many things are are getting better um, and how, as you mentioned, life is is getting easier. And then, of course, um, our uh, honoree at last year's gala, Peter Diamandis, uh, who, who tells people to, to not watch, you know, the news, uh, that, that the, the news is, is, um, designed to keep us in fear and keep us in in panic mode. Um, and, and if we consume too much of it, then, then we're not going to be, um, moving forward in a way where we have the, the bandwidth to be alert to opportunities. And so, um, so I, th- I think that's part of, of of what we are trying to to present in the choice of of the people that we have on our our webinars um, webinars every week.
0: Absolutely, and I I really like the the emphasis here on diving deeper into things than the overtly uh, apparent deal. Um, Especially looking at the American surface, there's this polarised divide between liberal and conservative media that on each and every issue in most cases, adopt in their party a fairly similar stand. But in comparison, they pretty much say the opposite. And well, this ongoing, for for years and decades, ongoing um, debate over these, uh, well, for most people on each side, apparently uh, obvious issues where each and every member of both groups think they're right. Doesn't get anyone anywhere because they will fall back on their biases and um, well the the underlying structure of reasoning they apply to the issue is the opposite. So one may find in a certain case uh, a, a in part of information he thinks is uh, worth it considering because it makes a case for his argument the opposite party does the exact opposite. Um, So I I think that's a really good argument to rather dive into the underlying issues. Well, pick up a book from Rand and maybe even consider uh, Marxist literature just to understand where these views come from and then from the belief that every individual is able to reason for themselves assess what makes inherent sense to pick a side, not based on emotion, but actual objectivism. Uh, So I've I've personally uh, well had an interesting history of my ideas bouncing back and forth. But uh, at some point, one can notice that it doesn't really make sense.
1: That it doesn't really make sense. You mean what well doesn't- to
0: to um to be based on somebody else's ideas without really understanding them? There's a difference between listening to something like this, a podcast, and then simply well saying to oneself, okay, this person in some authority as I'm uh, listening to them talk deliberately, um, has to be right in that manner, as opposed to actually trying to map out a a net of ideas in which this concept is consistent. And this, especially in in a form of story, uh, can be made very easy because complicated Uh, structure of words may not be as good to understand than a simple video.
1: Right. Well, I think you need a multifaceted approach. Um, You need a multifaceted approach, not just because there are a lot of diverse individuals some who prefer nonfiction, some who prefer fiction, some who are political, some who aren't, some who are visual, some who aren't, but even within uh, the the individual who who may be on their path to to becoming objectivists, um, but that are also leading very busy, uh, productive lives with a lot of um, demands on their time uh, that maybe they will, watch a video and then they'll see a meme and then they'll uh hear a podcast and then they will read a book and then they will um engage in a more interactive format like uh we have on the atlas society club on clubhouse where they're they're asking questions and they're being asked questions or in one of our our seminars so I, I think that you need kind of a um, whole ecology of, of different kinds of pieces of content and forums for for engagement. Um, and uh, and I, I think that's the, the best approach. I mean, in advertising, you don't just put one ad out, you know, of course you have to be mindful of budget, but you, you want people to have an opportunity to, to get multiple impressions. And then have a funnel for the next steps that they will take on on their their journey, uh, ultimately to to what we call in um, in in marketing conversion, which is you know they buy the product or they they reach a stage where uh, they've assimilated the philosophy and they're beginning to uh, to apply it. In in their lives, you know. However, however, imperfectly, and and different people have different priorities. Um, some are political activists. Some are women that are struggling with their relationships and are being driven by emotions or wishful thinking or a lack of understanding about the nature of, of gender differences. Um, some are young people who are feeling lost in how they should go about, um, formulating a a path for, for their career and their personal advancement. And I want to return to something that you said earlier about, about failure. Um, because, you know, if you, if you watch the Atlas Societies, um, Social media, uh, and and you'll you'll see that there are quite a few memes that dwell on failure as a as a positive value uh, in the process of of learning, and I, I think that um, both for for young people apart from ideology and then certainly within within objectivism, and I think that's a part of the the emphasis at the Atlas Society on uh, toleration and on a dynamism as a part of the the process of of learning that it's okay to be wrong uh, as part of the process of learning what is right. And um, in terms of just innovation, um, having a a higher tolerance for failure, for judgment, being judged um, is is really healthy and, and ultimately more conducive to uh, to having the creativity, to uh, to come up with solutions and and find a, a path forward. And I, I think that uh, creativity is is a watchword for us at the Atlas Society. Uh, we we try to be creative in the way that we um, come up with solutions with limited limited resources. Um, but I I think that as objectivists, we also need to understand. What are the conditions under which um, creativity can thrive, and why is creativity important? And uh, and certainly um, uh, having a, a, a detachment from being overly concerned with the judgment of others, but also um, a, a certain amount of uh, tolerance for your own for one's own mistakes. And um, I, I, I certainly have that. I um, you know I've, I've given speeches to to have objectivism taken seriously. don't take yourself so seriously. And um, the the thrust of that for me was uh, what what are the conditions under which you're going to achieve maximum creativity And uh, when I look throughout the libertarian sphere and, and the objectivism sphere, I would say, uh, knowledge and expertise on philosophical issues we have in abundance but um, but creativity is a much scarcer commodity or, or value within within the the movement. And so I think what can we do as as individuals what can we do as organizations, as leaders of organizations to encourage um, conditions that are that are more hospitable to to unleashing our own, creativity uh, when it comes to being resourceful in our own personal lives, our careers, and also in our our work of advancing the ideas of objectivism.
0: So from from this idea, I I generally definitely agree. Um, In my definition of, of creativity, I would maybe rather substitute it with authenticity but just, just in my idea that creativity would constitute uh, as defined as having ideas that are far apart from what others think. And of Oth- course, these ideas being superior to them. Otherwise, it's just, well, that's wrong.
1: Right. Well, <clears throat> authenticity, I hadn't really thought of um, authenticity, as a substitute for uh, you know or a synonym for creativity, but I think authenticity is is really important in terms of communication, um, and and that's why I I think as well you know you talked about greater professionalization, having access to to greater talent to create things which are visually sophisticated, but. One of the reasons I chose um, the Draw My Life format early on, aside from the fact that when I was recruited to run the Outland Society five years ago, uh, we we didn't have resources to to come up with anything particularly um, sophisticated. So the the very first Draw My Lives, um, in addition to writing the the scripts and doing the voiceover, I drew the, the very first ones, and but we've continued with the with the format. Um, in in part, you know, if you look at it, you think, well, it's kind of crude. It's certainly not sleek. Um, it's a hand drawing. There's erasing. There's uh, smudges. You know, it doesn't look very professional. But um, you know, if you try to again look at the circumstances of the market where people are being bombarded by highly pr- produced com- commercial productions. Um, there is a tendency on the audience to to dismiss that because uh, they are sensing that somebody is trying to sell me something, and that might, you know, I'm, I'm taking that into consideration as I'm evaluating uh, whether or not this is worth my time and whether or not it is worth my action. Um, but the the draw my life format uh, is is less perfect. And the imperfection is a conscious part of the strategy because it is um, it, it just you don't know. is it going to is it going to work out or is it going to be a disaster? and that sort of immediacy uh, continues to to hold your your question your your attention. and um, and even uh, you know the um, living history events where I've done um, my, Impersonation, my very loving impersonation of of Ayn Rand. uh, I think that that also is uh, something where my God, you know, this is crazy. How is this possibly going to turn out? It's going to be a disaster. Maybe it will be a disaster. And sometimes it is a disaster. But that is a lot more compelling in terms of watching something where you you know it's a real person playing a a real person who's no longer alive. and, and there's a sense that um, that it's uh, it's not it's it's not an overly commercialized um, production, uh, but but it's it's real people trying to communicate with real people.
0: That's a very great um, example of this, and to touch on this uh, perfectionism, I think the the tendency stems from unconscious knowledge that something being appearing close to perfect has to uh, have suspicion arise because that is not really the goal. Again, we want to communicate an idea and not we want to communicate that we are the best drawers ever. And I, I think as well something like a, personal um, impersonation ha- brings kind of forth that, oh, this person has so deeply understood uh, these ideas and this person that, well, even if she's dead by now, um, that she's able to similarly replicate the ideas and patterns this person had set up and that's great because the same as in the drawings, it has this personal aspect and this the same as meetings and having personal questions. Yeah, I think really creates a sense of not high cooperation and uh, soul marketing in the sense of yeah I want to sell you something the creation of a individual bond.
1: Yeah, and also the personal aspect is is really important. And fun, you know, fun. (laughs) We need more (laughs) fun in life and we should have more fun as individuals. And, uh, you know, there's a tendency when talking about uh, serious philosophy um, and uh, in talking about Ayn Rand, for whom, as objectivists, we have a deep, deep reverence and a, a sense of indebtedness um, to the to the great gifts that she um, provided. That there is almost a a fear of um, of of having fun, um, and I just, you know, I don't know if it's people that really aren't that much fun in their personal lives, uh, but but most people do like to have fun, and the people that we're trying to communicate with uh, want to have fun, and they want to be around people who are, are fun, so I, I think that that is another value that we're trying to incorporate into uh, into the way that we approach the, the subject matter and to have it be, something that's um, not just deeply valuable, but that's entertaining. And that's also uh, enjoyable because, you know, after all, um, objectivism is a philosophy of, of, uh, of man uh, as a heroic being, but also with, with happiness, happiness as, as the moral purpose of his, his life. And so bringing a little bit more of that vibe into uh, into our discussion and into our animation, into our um, into our exchanges, is would would go a huge long way towards bringing more people into the movement.
0: That's a a good component brought in there. the 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 thing that is really tricky and this well. <laughs> It's, it's hard to distinguish because these definitions get thrown around a lot. And mm. from a kind of postmodern view, they, well, only get used as kind of weapons to aim, uh, to manipulate and not to compel with an argument. But I would, in this instance, erase the uh, exemplary clause, having fun, uh, being happy, isn't something opposed to the heroic archetype it is yeah. the heroic archetype
1: it absolutely and and that's why um, you know I I've read all of Ayn Rand's works I am constantly rereading them uh, and 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 trying to to read them in new languages so that um, so that we can communicate with with other audiences uh that's a big emphasis for the atlas society uh right now i don't think we have translated our draw my lives into german but but that that needs to to well, be added maybe i can have <laughs> okay great well you're 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 hired um because uh boy we've translated them and we have a a a volunteer uh, at the Atlas Society in um, Georgia, in the country of Georgia, and he has taken it on himself to translate all of those videos. And thanks to this one single individual, um, he is is doing more to uh, to expand awareness and um, in the introduction to Ayn Rand's ideas in his country uh, than than any number of conferences or or, or books could do. So. Um, but, uh, but, but when I go back in my rereading of Ayn Rand's works, my uh, current favorite is her early unpublished works. And if you look at the early stories that she did uh, as a very young woman, um, there is a silliness, you know, there is a uh, an almost a seeming like a frivolity to uh, to some of of these uh, these characters. Uh, there's her early story, Good Copy, and there's this very, um, very hard to control young young woman that uh, that the the hero tries to, to to kidnap, and she's just not behaving as as a proper hostage. Um, but uh, I just I just love those, and um, I, I love them as a reflection of of Ayn Rand's um, benevolence. But but also I think what she's trying to say about you know yeah this is somebody having having fun you know and um, and even in in Red Pawn uh, which which was uh, wasn't you know published in so far as it was made into a screenplay but but it is a complete work that that she um, that she executed uh, there's the the character in Red Pawn who. Uh, is impersonating a uh, a call girl. Essentially, she's a, impersonating a mail-order bride. And she's got loads and loads of, of beautiful clothes with silk and feathers and sequins. And, um, you know, I I think that is more than just uh, a random, you know, detail that, that Rand put into that script. I, I think that she was trying to show of of value certainly contrasted against the backdrop of that story, which was this gothic uh, Soviet prison, political prison camp of, uh, of just enjoying beauty of an enjoying beautiful clothes of enjoying beautiful music. And that is a value, you know, in, in and of itself. And I don't know, maybe it's because we need more women in, in in objectivism and bringing uh the the things that 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 women might uh might might enjoy but um but i i also find you know deeper philosophical uh symbolism in in rand's choice of um of of beauty that doesn't have to be uh useful uh but it, its use is that it, it makes somebody happy and it makes them smile and it, and they enjoy it.
0: Oh yeah. Um, I, I've just got a thought from this um, about we've, when we've talked about people, kind of this the sense of oppression on themselves from historical events that certainly had a negative impact on anything that has to go with them, but this is, well, well, a certain positivity of uh, opportunity originates from disaster of building things together and even stronger than before. And certainly a part of this is silliness from a view of being human. This is all part of this. And while we definitely differ in temperament, and for example, uh, education and other personality traits definitely have impact on this, there is definitely value in humor and love, of course, um, just simply from the innate human features that we have evolved to be. And even though we have reason and this objectivism, it it cannot leave out these uh, important parts of human. So I definitely do not think that this is any, well, banal detail, but of course, planted as uh, a part of what is proper to pursue. And when you talk about, you know, more women and uh, general people in objectivism and these ideas, of course, these are the people that could benefit most from this, because they may have a greater inclination to weigh themselves down, which actually is what could oppress them. You know, Nietzsche as well has been talking about. Uh, slave morality, and I, I kind of like this term from his um, well, pretty arrogant and uh, ironic type. Um, well, just the kind of morality, yes, of slavery without slavery being even present. And uh, there, there certainly is great value in bringing these types of people together, so they are able to transcend the the boundaries they've set themselves.
1: Yes, I, I think um, and I want to be very clear. I'm, I'm against uh, I'm against identity politics and saying we need more women because they are women or because they were excluded. Um, but uh, but I, I do think that we need creativity and, and creativity, can often come from getting, you know, different um, different perspectives that we may not have considered. I mean, even you know, when we're looking to select uh, a management team, you know, there's a there's a bias towards wanting to um, to hire people that are similar in orientation and. Um, and attributes and and strengths to to one's own management style and something that i think about you know well if i want to hire people that that are similar to me uh that's has the benefit of people that are going to understand where i'm coming from but i might be excluding uh, a different kind of you know perspective and setting myself up for for blind spots and um and I, I think that uh that women um you know I I also think that there's a a value to to uh if you look at well what are the demographics and objectivism and libertarianism and, and is this optimal or do we want to change them? Should we be trying to expand this market segment, more young people, more uh, you know, female, male, what what have you? I, I always say that there's a an argument to be made towards um even if your priority was, well, we we just we do actually want more men as objectivists, we want more men as libertarians, um, even if that was your objective, you'd want to bring in more women <laughs> to attract more men. Um but but I but I also uh, feel that uh as you referenced obliquely, that uh women can have have a huge uh, amount that they can benefit from in, in terms of objectivism and, in part um because of you know their biology as 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 uh, the ones that are going to be um, having children and and taking care of children but but also in terms of, of cultural norms uh in terms of their roles as caretakers um that uh, that they can absorb, uh, a lot of premises, which are ultimately not helpful in terms of wanting to pursue, you know, their their own values, which may which may not conform to to cultural norms. And so, um, I think in that regard, Ayn Rand's work is helpful. Not just that she herself was a woman uh, writing these books at a time when uh, that wasn't an ordinary role for her gender, uh, but but also the fact that so many of of the uh, protagonists were were female, and so I, I think that can provide a, a link of, of relatability for uh, for for women to um, to understand the books and and to to identify with the characters and um, the struggles that they're going through.
0: Yeah, that's great, um, and this kind of success it it transcends the the. Well, the sole basis of identity politics just falls apart when their premise is broken by someone who should not be allowed to break them, but then not adheres to what they're saying. So that, I believe, is is the greatest power uh, in existence to, to fight these ideas, because of course they're naturally occurring. When, when people have differences so overtly visible. Uh, and of course, now it's it's merely seen as racism, but looking below that, a person with a different skin color, for someone who would have never, ever before and ever heard of anyone having a different skin color would be kind of, well, a anomaly. And this tracing on to today's society, there, may be an underlying issue, but to to fight this and achieve, for example, in a sense of uh, ethnicity, colorblindness, the best way is to just break the rules and succeed, even though one is told that it is not possible. And so I, yeah, I believe that's a great note to end this upon. I thank you very much for joining me for this conversation.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Sebastian.